Welcome to UnUninformed. I'm Sean C.V. UnUninformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. Almost a quarter of the people in the world are Muslim. But how much do we really understand Islam and Muslim culture here in America? If our perspective on Islam only comes from the media, there's a chance it might not be correct. So I think the best way to understand people is to ask genuine questions. And that's what we're doing here today. Joining me is Mesa Kurge, the coordinator for the Islamic Speakers Bureau here in Utah. She frequently reaches out in the community in helping people understand her religion and culture. But not only does she talk about being Muslim, but about her unique experience being Muslim right here in Salt Lake City, Utah. I reached out to people on Facebook to see what questions they had for Mesa, and I was overwhelmed by how many people truly want to be un-uninformed on this topic. Mesa Kurge, welcome to Un-Uninformed. Thank you so much for having me here. So Mesa, give me a little background on yourself. I'm always asked where are you from when people see me because I look foreign to them just because I wear a scarf. (laughs) It used to be an offensive question to myself because I felt like they were telling me I'm un-American, but now I realize it's people trying to connect to me because they have a friend who might be from there or they've traveled there. Yeah. So I answer now with my parents come from Lebanon and Syria. Then their next question is, well, were you born here? I'm like, no, I came at a very young age. Uh, raised in California, and I've been in Utah for the last 25 years. Oh, yeah. Graduated from the U with a math degree and uh, currently teaching math at Salt Lake Community College. Uh, and uh, to many, they might be surprised uh, to hear that I also teach Zumba and yoga and other fitness classes. Shameless uh, plug. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun, and everyone should try it if they haven't. <laughs> Uh, I'd love to talk more about Zumba and yoga, but let's talk a, a little bit more about what you do with the Islamic Speaking Bureau. We go wherever we're invited, um, so we don't just show up and push our agenda. Um, high schools, colleges, churches, uh, hospitals, um, businesses who want their workers to be sensitive to their different clients that they have. And we just educate people um, about what the Islamic belief is, what Muslims' culture, beliefs, attitudes. Of course, I don't speak for all Muslims, but I speak about what the religion says. So just because the religion says it doesn't mean all Muslims do it. Yeah, and I I reached out on Facebook asking people to... I knew I was going to have this interview, and I asked them to ask some questions. Um, Some people had questions about culture, some about religion. So let's talk a little bit about religion. Here's a question from uh, Chris Seavey. It would be interesting to get an overview of Muslim theology. Who is God or Allah? How is he different from the God of the Jews or the Christians? Where did we come from? Why are we here? What awaits us in the hereafter? What does Allah require now for a favorable hereafter? So that's there's a lot going on there, but... Uh, that would be a whole theology course, and I definitely don't have a theology degree, but in a nutshell, in sure. a nutshell, um, Muslims believe in Allah. Allah is the Arabic word for God. Christians and Jews who live in the Middle East also refer to God as Allah. 
It is a unique word. It doesn't have a plural. It doesn't have a feminine. Whereas the word oh. God can be turned into gods and goddess, the word Allah does not. And so many Muslims, even though they don't speak oh. Arabic, they still use the word Allah when referring to God. So they, is it the same God as the Christian God or the Jewish God? That's not for me to say because it depends on each person's interpretation of who God is. So I'm not right. going to compare my God to anybody else's God. But we do say it's the same God of Abraham, the same God of Moses, the same God of Jesus, the same God of Muhammad. Whether it's the same God of all the Christians and the Jews, I can't go there. But as Muslims, um, Muslims believe in Abraham and Moses and Jesus, and they view the same God who sent them their revelation, sent the revelation to Prophet Muhammad. Um, now, is, is Jesus is viewed as a prophet? Is that right? He's viewed as a prophet. I, Muslims do believe in his virgin birth from Mary, um, and they believe in all his miracles that the Christians attribute to him, and they actually, as Muslims, we attribute two more uh, miracles to him. So we do believe in him raising the dead and healing the sick and the leper and the blind. We also believe he spoke as an infant and that he gave a clay bird life. Um, I actually haven't heard the story. Well, that's in the Quran. It's not. <laughs> yeah. So, but we view these as miracles, just like Moses split the sea and just like Adam was born with no mother or father. Um, we view those as miracles and doesn't make a, a, someone God. So we don't view as Jesus God or son of God, but as a prophet of God. Got it. So tell me a little bit more. I, I want to know a little bit more about Islamic theology. So in Islam, we have the seven tenets of faith. The very first one we've covered, which is God. Muslims also believe in angels, that they are different creatures than humans created out of light and have no free will. And as a Muslim, I believe every human has two angels with them at all times. Muslims also believe in scriptures, that God sent scriptures from the scrolls to Abraham, the Psalms to David, the Torah to Moses, the Gospel to Jesus, and the Quran to Muhammad. But they only follow the Quran as their book of teaching. Um, and they believe it's the only scripture that is still in its true form as it was revealed. Muslims also believe in prophets. Hundreds of thousands of prophets have been chosen over time, but only 25 are mentioned by name in the Quran, in the Muslim scripture. And we could play a game of who's who. So the Quran is in Arabic, so if I yeah. say Adam, the English version is easy, but if I say Musa, that's Moses. Okay. Ibrahim. Abraham, I know that one. <laughs> Ismail. Ish, wait, is, wait, Ishmael. Yep. Ishaq. Isaac. Nuh. Noah. Um, let's see, Yusuf. Uh, Joseph, yeah. Yunus. Hold on. You... Starts with a J. Jonas. Jonas. And here's the hardest one for people. Isa. Isa? Uh, is Jesus. Oh, Okay. So I no, thought it would be like Yesu or something. <laughs> so Isa is Jesus in the Quran. And there's a whole chapter of Mary in the Quran talking about her, the birth and the miracles and all that. Now, I, I may be wrong on this, but Ishmael, there's something to do with Ishmael and Islam. Is that right? Am all I, of them. I mean, is, all the prophets, their stories from the Noah and the Ark and 
Jonah and the whale. I mean, all the stories are in the Quran as well. Okay. So yes, um, the Muslim story of Isaac and Ishmael is a little different than the Bible version. Okay. Uh, Muslims believe it was Ishmael who was left in the desert with his mother, Hagar. Yeah. Um, and then um, that Abraham and Ishmael built the Kaaba, which is the first place of worship built on earth, which is the Muslims' holiest site today. And where is that? In that- Saudi. And that would be... Now, help me, out, help me out with Mecca. Yep, it's in Mecca. Okay. And it's the Kaaba. So it's a cube. Kaaba. Kaaba means cube. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's the first place of worship built on earth by Abraham. Well, just real quick about what happens after you die. I've been told that there's something to do with men inheriting virgins. <laughs> help me out here. All right. Well... Bottom line is I've never been there. I can't really, you know, I can tell you anything and everything, but you won't really know until you go there yourself. But the Muslim belief is that everyone will be brought back to life in their human form, stand judgment for their actions. God will be the only judge. There's really scary things to to make visualize how terrible of an ordeal it is but you're there unclothed um, in a sea of people standing judgment your body parts will speak so you can't really lie about your life the angels who are with you have written down your your record of deeds your good and bad deeds so you really will stand judgment for your actions We believe in a forgiving God, but if you don't ask God for forgiveness, he can't forgive after the fact it's too late. But even then, I I think he's awesome. He could forgive if he chooses to. But for us, if we want that guarantee, you have to ask for forgiveness while you're still alive. And um, God will decide where you go, and where you go is eternal. So you get a different body once you enter heaven and hell. And... um, the bottom line is heaven is better than anything possible on earth and better than anything you can imagine. And, you know, Hollywood can do a lot of imagination. And <laughs> on earth, the Travel Channel shows you amazing things that exist here. So it's better than anything possible. And hell is worse than anything you can imagine as well and <laughs> worse than anything that exists on earth. So, so be good. So, yes, be good is the bottom line. Uh, it's... For the virgins, yes, you can have whatever you think makes you happy. So yeah. there is that component, um, but it's such it's supposed to be really a minor component of how amazing heaven is. So another question on Facebook was from Kimberly Hancock. She said, what is the most common misunderstanding people have about your religion? Depends who you talk to. There sure. are so many different misunderstandings and depends on the age group of course in high school I get a whole different set of questions than in churches than in colleges but the bottom line is I just want people to realize that Islam is a beautiful beautiful religion that is very peaceful that is very loving and it's a religion between a person and his creator it's not doesn't involve anybody else it's it's a very personal experience and journey women's rights is another one that is really misunderstood or women 
in Islam in general. Uh, people see women who are covered and they jump to all kinds of conclusions about why they're dressed that way. Or It's really based on how media portrays. Because yeah. if they see a nun covered, they don't go through the same different emotions yeah. good, and stereotypes. Yeah. You know, they, they say, oh, she's a spiritual... Uh, good human being, but they see a woman who's covered in Islam, and they're like, "Oh, she's oppressed. She's not doesn't have freedom." It's like, why? Why the double standard? We choose to cover to follow our faith, yeah, out of spirituality, out of love for God. So why the double standard? Yeah. So you have the people can't see. You have a beautiful hijab. Am I saying it correctly? Yes, hijab is the Arabic word for a scarf. For a scarf. And uh, now I don't quite understand. I, I think I heard some of those things on the media, especially with like Afghanistan, where you, mm-hmm. uh, with some of the covering that you only see maybe their eyes. Is there something significant about that compared to just a hijab? It's just cultural. Afghanistan okay. has a cultural dress and Saudi has a cultural dress. But, you know, they make a very small fraction of Muslims. There's over 1.7 billion Muslims in the world. That's a quarter <laughs> of the earth population. You yeah. know, I tell people, if you think Muslims are non-peaceful people, we, you'd really feel it with 1.7 billion Muslims. <laughs> yeah. But that's not the case. It's just we have a few bad apples and we don't excommunicate anybody. So we're stuck with our bad apples. And um we do speak against them, but you know the media gives the sound bites to whoever they feel like giving it to, so we don't get to get our condemnations of the different acts that do happen on the major airways. And I, I, I have wondered that in the past. I know if, like you said, with excommunications with the Catholic Church. The Pope can speak out against somebody that's not representing Catholic values. But we have people who do that, but we're, we don't have a hierarchy. So the media chooses who they give the mic to, and it's not always the right group. So, Dan, no hierarchy. There's no Pope. There's no... Nothing. Uh, no hierarchy, for good or bad. So going back to what you are saying about, yes, there's bad apples. Not 1.7 billion of them, no. Less than half a percent. <laughs> yeah. So... This is what uh, another person asked, Zach Stuckey. said, how do you stop radicalization in your community? How do you deal with people who are clearly ignorant and treat you with fear and distrust? Those are kind of two different questions. First of all, radicalization in the community. My job is my family. I raise my kids. I educate people around me. Um, I teach Sunday school. I run the Islamic Speakers Bureau. We try to educate people on both ends, the Muslim end and the non-Muslim end. So that's my my weapon of choice, education. What was the second question? How do you deal with people who are clearly ignorant and treat you with fear and distress? Um, well, I guess is education was your weapon. And love. So, you know, when someone treats you badly, you don't treat them badly back. You try to be nice and... It's the only way you're going to make a difference because if if you're bad or you're angry, uh, then you just prove their point. So (laughs) you try to just be kind. Um, I love inviting people into my home um, always um, for dinner or for different events, do cooking classes. So I had my neighbors um, organize a cooking class at my house once. 
And I didn't know any of the people who were coming except one neighbor. And it was funny because, you know, people would knock and come in and uh, to come to the class. And then we heard a knock on the door. I said, come on in. They're like, you don't know us. I said, that's fine. Come on in. <laughs> and they're like, no, you really don't know us. No, and I really... said, okay, who is it? And they're like, oh, we're Jehovah Witnesses. I said, okay, you can still come in and join the <laughs> cooking class if you like. Uh, they're like, oh, no, that's okay. Or they were the one holding themselves back. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're trying to include everybody. And I live in an amazing neighborhood that is very inclusive, very inclusive. And the way I realized how inclusive it was, first, I always felt welcome for starters. But as I give different presentations in different churches, I started running into neighbors who belong to these other churches. Yeah. And I was really surprised because I felt... They were so comfortable in this in all the different functions in the neighborhood that I just assumed they were part of the LDS church. Oh, sure. Because that's how well everybody is included. You know, for me, I felt I stand out because I wear a scarf. <laughs> for them, I wouldn't know if they're LDS or non-LDS unless I went to the church with them on you know on a Sunday. Right. So I thought it was really amazing to see how many people did not really belong to the LDS church in our neighborhood, but were always included in all the activities in the neighborhood, whether it's the Christmas dinners or my girls were part of activity days. Oh, activity, my really? son was part of scouts and he's an Eagle Scout. Wow. Um, I attend all the Relief Society dinners and birthdays and all, all I mean, whichever I, ones I'm available for. Yeah, which the ones that I, I work think in my many schedule. of the Mormon women can't say that. So that's, that's pretty impressive. What works in my schedule. I go to whatever I think is fun or whatever I think is service oriented. And just a little background for any that may not be in Utah. I guess it's obvious Utah is a Mormon majority state and being able to mesh with the Mormon culture is is something that... I guess it took effort. Let me say yeah. this. It took effort uh, mainly because from my understanding, my neighbors did not want to seem like they were pushing their faith on me. Yeah. And so I had to be the one saying, I want my kids to be included in activity days. I want <laughs> to come to Relief Society. But I told them, I didn't know these things existed. So you guys have to be a little more nice and open and let people be aware what they can be involved in. So they should be more open. Uh, that I think people are so afraid of getting rejected for their beliefs that uh, I it's guess okay they're It's okay to be rejected. Maybe I'm just used to it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm a smaller minority, in at least in Utah and in the States. So I'm, I want to connect. And yeah. so... Um, it's been a great experience. Well, speaking of connecting, here's another question. He uh, said, whenever I talk to someone who's Muslim, and this is actually is a Mormon, I'm usually reminded of our similarities. And I imagine that that would help more people in Utah being willing to reach out and learn more if they felt they had certain beliefs or life experiences in common. So that was Skylar Aiken, a Mormon in, who is from Utah. Mm-hmm. Well, people always ask me, would you like to live anywhere else? I'm like, no, I love living in Utah. It's, it's great. a great place to raise your family, kids. Uh, there's no, well, I shouldn't say there's no alcohol. There's plenty of alcohol. But, <laughs> uh, for those who choose to live, there's more people who choose to live without alcohol in Utah than any other state. And um, yeah. the same family values and morality and 
you know, for my daughter to tell her friends, you know, I won't be your friend if you use vulgar language or bad language. It's not, it didn't seem like such a tall order, (laughs) tall order. Whereas I grew up in California, they, they would have really said, well, too bad. Then you're, you're out of friends. (laughs) Uh, And yet she has plenty of friends locally. And so it is a great, we, we share that morality, family values and, uh, spirituality. My daughter gets highlighted, um, in the church um, for her the fact that she fasts um, in Ramadan while playing soccer and so you know she's covered you know Islamically and she's fasting from dawn till sunset in the summer so sunset's 9pm and she's doing 3-4 to hours of soccer conditioning and so it's it's that would be easier in a in a Muslim majority country. Well, <laughs> I think it's hard no matter where it. you are. But they might change the time of the conditioning and not do it in the heat of the summer. You know, and outdoors. <laughs> I know in um, in Dearborn, Michigan, they changed the football practice at one of the high schools that had a majority of Muslims. So they did their football practices after midnight. You know, while people are not fasting and they can drink and hydrate and not under the sun, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, but we did not have that. That's interesting. I, I actually hadn't thought of Ramadan. I don't, I've been to India and I've experienced it there, but I, I didn't think about it in the American context. Well, we do share other values in charity and helping the poor, um, fasting, um, so you guys give tithing, we give zakat. Our zakat is only two and a half percent, and it's of <laughs> savings, not income. Got it. But you know, there's differences, but there's similarities, yeah. and uh, and we're both uh, minorities, uh, kind of, and been persecuted so with the media. So we have many similarities. I, I think so. And have you seen that in Utah that may, that that we've done good sometimes in understanding because of our background of being every neighborhood's different, every <laughs> yeah. group of people is different. You know, not all Mormons are wonderful, not all Muslims are wonderful. So it just depends on the people that you you connect with, and you can't you know paint everybody with one brush. Whether it is the Mormons or the Muslims. I mean, I've had friends in, who are not Muslim, who are Christian and not LDS, and they did not have the same experiences I've had. And they yeah. would paint all Mormons with a negative brush. And I'm like, well, maybe you had a bad experience, but that doesn't relate to all Mormons. So right. It goes both ways, it doesn't it? It goes both <laughs> ways. So we have to just not generalize. You know, if one bad person did something, doesn't make everybody of the same uh, group guilty by association. Um, here, here's a question that I've, I've heard people talk about. This is from Nicole Megan. She said, I've heard from people that the Quran promotes more violence than peace. Do you agree? I do not agree. Of course you don't agree. <laughs> yeah. tell, but tell again, if you read something out of context, you'll misunderstand it. Yeah. So... There was a cute little study done where people went around quoting things and say, where do you think this is from? And it, and it was ironic because they were quoting verses from the Bible that were <laughs> extremely violent. Yeah. Uh, and, and when they're told that, they're like, oh, you're taking that out of context. I'm like, okay, the same is true when you take verses out of the Quran out of context. Yeah. So yes, there's verses in the Quran that deal with war 
and fighting and different things. But it usually ends with, even if there's violence in the verses, but it says, but if the other party wants peace and wants to reconcile, then put, you know, peace is the goal. Yeah. Uh, but it, it says, you know, if you need to fight, you fight. We're not Quakers. We're Muslims. <laughs> if, if we're being persecuted, we do not necessarily turn the other cheek. You can fight back. God says you can fight back when you're being attacked. So, but he does also tell us to, to try and, and solve it peacefully. And if others want to have a peaceful solution, then you should work hard to come up with a peaceful solution as well. And, we, and with that in mind, uh, Jesus promoted love. And, and that's something that I think Muslims and Christians believe. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, another, another concern that I've heard years ago, and I think this was, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is when the, shortly after the, the Twin Towers uh, incident, that they were putting up an uh, Islamic center near, near the site. A lot of people said were not happy with that, and they started bringing up instances of Sharia law and how that could negatively affect neighborhoods. First of all, tell us what Sharia law is. Well, the actual Sharia law means the Quran, God's rules and regulations. That's it for Muslims. That's what it is. The rules. So it's rules on. What day is Sabbath? Rules on how do you slaughter your animals? Rules on how do you bury your dead? Rules on uh, so many different aspects of life. But where Americans seem to think it is, it's about the court and punishment and criminal justice system. And yes, there might be those aspects in Sharia law because in Islam we do not have a separation of church and state if there was an Islamic Um, law and government and country but the number one rule in Islam is you live and follow the law of the land as long as it doesn't contradict your beliefs so I'll take a funny one out of there polygamy it doesn't say in Islam that you have to be polygamist 99% of Muslims are monogamous anyway, and Islam yeah. promotes monogamy. But my point is, if American law says you, can, you, you can't have multiple wives, that doesn't break the rule in Islam. Got it. But if it said you have to do something that God says, no, you can't, then that's when you don't follow the law of the land. So, but the number one rule is you have to abide and follow the law of the land. So we even tell our teenagers that means driving safely, (laughs) stopping at the stop sign, following the law of the traffic because you swore when you got your license to follow the rules. Yeah. So you have to keep that covenant. And and you're saying that particular and Sharia law has been criticized by media. It's been misunderstood. Yeah. Most Americans that I've talked to seem to think we're going to come in and somehow take over and forbid alcohol because they don't want to give up alcohol (laughs) and force women to cover which by the way we don't force anybody to cover even if they are muslim let alone if they're not muslim yeah or you know take over whatever they see as their freedoms and we're like we don't even care what you're doing we just want our rights like if if the meat is being sold in the store and it's being labeled halal which is equivalent of kosher yeah they actually 
is there's somebody making sure they're following certain guidelines to say that and that they're not just putting a label on it like organic <laughs> and selling it for more money. You, you know? just insulted all my organic food listeners. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding. Keep going. But, you know, that's what we're talking about. If um, To be able to bury our dead in the way we're supposed to bury our dead and yeah. to um, maybe have different aspects of the faith being respected and allowing a court of some sort recognizing what Islam has to say on those issues. So what do you need to know um, to have a good relationship with Muslims is to know what they believe, to know what is offensive. So if you're going into a Muslim's home, maybe ask if you need to take your shoes off. Many Muslims like to keep their carpet clean because when they pray, they put their forehead to the floor. Uh, to be aware, if you're inviting them for dinner, that they don't eat pork or pork products. Uh, definitely no alcohol, so don't bring a bottle of wine as a gift to the home. Even though they don't drink, you can't drink either in their home. Got it. Um, for conservative Muslims, we don't have physical contact with the opposite gender so I would say a good rule of thumb is don't extend a hand unless a hand is extended there's a cute book out there that says the meat eating vegetarian so some Muslims follow strict uh, kosher dietary laws meaning the meat has to be slaughtered in a certain manner slaughtered with love somebody described is that it's true some of it is slaughtered with love and the other part is to bless it in the name of God when it's being slaughtered. But yes, it has to be slaughtered with a very sharp knife, one animal at a time, so one animal does not witness the other animal being slaughtered uh, because when it does, the adrenaline gets released in the bloodstream and then that's really bad for human consumption when you then slaughter the very next animal. Well, you're saying for a really practical reason. Well, anyway, so (laughs) some Muslims will only eat what we call halal meat, and so sometimes they don't want to sit and explain to everybody. They'll say, oh, I'm vegetarian or I'll only eat fish. <laughs> they really probably eat meat, but they require it to be halal. The meat so, eating <laughs> Ironically now, certain Costco's do sell halal chicken and lamb oh. and beef. And I've had really good, uh, in India, I had, during Ramadan, I had halim. Mm, halim is yeah but and, spicy were you able to take the spice oh oh we, oh i have no problem with spice and i was in south india which is known for its particular spiciness so, so just, a, just a mushy chicken or some meat cooked with lentils but cooked like for three days yeah so it becomes very mushy but it's yes. very good and there's beef hurma which is more on the beef or lamb and also way cooked long so it's really mushy and yeah. delicious Here's another question from Minyan Walker. She said, what is your biggest hope for, the, for our community and nation when it comes to these issues? I really find religious people are amazing. They're really, religion is not the source of problems in the world. Um, it's people who use religion for political, financial gain, or whatever gain they're going for. Uh, good... Um, proof of that last year or the year before here in Salt Lake we had uh, the big parliament for world religions and we had over 10,000, 20,000 people in the same building everybody of different faiths the Sikh community was huge um, in providing what they called langar 
um, which they cooked for 5,000 people every day and fed 5,000 people free of charge. Wow. The Muslim community were the ones serving the food that the Sikh community cooked. (laughs) And there was all these people, and there was love in the building, and you felt the peace. You felt that love. People, total strangers, would walk up to me and just say hello and give me a hug. It was... It showed it's really not religion that divides people. It's people who are ignorant of their own faith, because every faith says, love your brother. There is no faith that says, hate one another. And so it's really people who have an agenda, and then they use religion and misquote religion to get what they want. And some people are benefiting financially from war, and... um, that's their agenda sadly yeah so so finally what can we do as listeners to be more aware more helpful more involved uh if we want to reach out or or be more connected to the islamic community what what can we do so this podcast has been wonderful hopefully it answered most of your questions if it has not the community here has been so amazing post Trump uh, they wanted to show love and support and so they contacted the mosque repeatedly so the mosque decided to do what we call meet the Muslims on the last Friday of each month this is uh, Utah Islamic Center out in Sandy and the first time we did it we announced it on a Wednesday and by Friday 350 people showed up (laughs) and we're like oh my gosh oops And so then we had to limit the crowd, and every week, every week, every week, 300-plus people were coming. Every week. Wow. I'm not sure if they came for the knowledge, for the love, or the great food, (laughs) but it was awesome. It really um, was magical, and so we take the time to educate, and then we invite our local Muslim community to come and mingle and visit and eat, Um, and it's been a great way. Um, at one of the conferences I was at, it was a prejudice conference, and I was among a lot of PhDs, and it was my turn to talk, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. So I looked up and I said, you know, food is the number one thing that bonds people. <laughs> so if you really want to get over your prejudices or make sure that you create love, invite someone over for dinner. Yeah. Well, after the conference, this total stranger walks up to me and says we'd like to have your family over for dinner (laughs) and I said all right my husband kind of was taken aback he's like you want me to take me and all the kids to total strangers home for dinner I said yes I do and we did and it was an amazing experience for all of us and we remained friends and this is how it is always and so you know, even in my yoga class, after yoga, I'll take someone home with me and say, hey, come over for dinner. And, yeah. and they do. And they take me up on it. And then it creates a bond. And so with every person, you create a bond. And so if you really fear someone or you're scared, invite them over for dinner. Or if you're not into your own home, go out and say, hey, let's go to this new restaurant or whatever. Just talk with people. Uh, I think it, it's a great way to create friendships. Mesa Kurge is a coordinator for Islamic Speakers Bureau, and she's also a fantastic yoga and Zumba, Zumba instructor. Mesa, thank you for enlightening us. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. 
Thanks for listening. And thanks to all of you who submitted questions. I, of course, didn't get to all of your questions, but I think Mesa's message pretty much encompassed all of your questions in some way or the other. If you're liking on Uninformed, subscribe to our podcast channel on your smartphone app. Our music's provided by Didi Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you've been listening to On Uninformed. Thanks, everybody.